and welcome back to the podcast. I'm producer Ash, and this is true. One sunny day in Los Angeles, I took myself on a field trip to the Griffith Observatory to nerd out for a few hours. While examining a vast display of big old space rocks, a photo captured my eye. It was titled, When Meteorites Attack, and depicted a black and white photo of a woman lying in her bed, her abdomen exposed to show a massive, deep black bruise. The plaque read, in 1954, a fragment of an asteroid crashed through the roof of a house in Silicaga, Alabama. It bounced off the floor and hit Ann Hodges while she was napping on her couch. She was the first person documented to have been struck by a meteorite. Mrs. Hodges sold autographed pictures of herself holding the meteorite under the damaged ceiling. The rock is now on display at the University of Alabama's Natural History Museum. At this point, I wondered, what are the fucking chances? According to Michael Reynolds, a Florida State College astronomer, quote, You have a better chance of getting hit by a tornado and a bolt of lightning and a hurricane all at the same time. It's like the universe said, fuck this woman in particular. What had she done to deserve this meteorological sucker punch? You're just minding your own business, taking an afternoon snooze, and a space rock attacks you from below? I thought at least she survived and was able to make a few bucks off of the wild story. Fascinated, I looked into it more. And the details about Anne's life after the meteorite struck were heart-wrenchingly tragic. So I do what I always do when something bums me out. I put it on the pod and you have to suffer with me. Here's the story. On November 30th, 1954, at 2.56 p.m. in central Alabama, something crashed through the roof of the Hodges' home. The lady of the house, a 34-year-old woman named Ann Hodges, lay on her sofa dozing off under a quilt. She hadn't been feeling well that day and needed a nap. Instead, she was jolted awake by the sudden attack, followed by a searing pain in her midsection just a fraction of a second later. She didn't know what had hit her, and no one else did for a while, too. Anne and her mother, who was in the house with her, tried to figure out what had happened. The house was suddenly covered in dust and debris. Maybe the chimney had collapsed, or there was an explosion of some kind. Then she sees a rock on the floor nearby and notices the growing bruise on her body, so they call 911. The police and fire department dispatch numerous vehicles to the Hodges residence, and all of this commotion draws a massive crowd of onlookers from the neighborhood. Earlier that day, Anne's husband, Eugene, or Jean for short, was working on a job site about 40 miles away when some of the men on his crew said they heard an explosion. Jean recalled telling the men it was probably a dynamite explosion from one of the nearby mines, a common occurrence in these parts. Then on his drive home that night, while making one of the familiar turns that signaled he was almost home, Jean was stopped by a man on the corner who warned him, quote, You better hurry on home, Hodges. Something fell through your house today and hit your wife. Jean rushed home and was welcomed by the crowds of onlookers and swarms of police and other emergency personnel. He had to fight his way into his own home, where he found his wife lying down surrounded by strangers. Anne explained to Jean that there had been some, quote, excitement at the house. Jean recalled, quote, she pointed at that hole and told me 
She said it hit the radio and bounced off and hit me and fell out onto the floor. What was it? Well, whatever it was, it was seen blazing through the sky from as far away as Georgia and Mississippi. Witnesses thought that it looked like a burning airplane plummeting to the earth, so much so that the authorities were expecting to arrive upon a crash site. Even after their arrival, it was thought that a chunk of the plane had broken apart and struck Anne. At some point in the chaos, it was determined that a meteorite had broken apart in the Earth's atmosphere, and that's what they were dealing with. Meteorites, in and of themselves, are far from rare. They fall to Earth all the time, in all shapes and sizes, although most range from the size of a ping-pong ball to the size of about a baseball. Prior to this event, there had been 60 recorded close calls of a meteorite landing near to people, and a few instances where animals were hit and killed by meteorites, but this was a first. It was later determined that the eight-and-a-half-pound, four-and-a-half-billion-year-old meteorite fragment crashed into the Hodges' home at about 120 miles per hour. Apparently, it was part of a larger meteorite that had split in two as it fell toward the ground. One piece hit Anne, and the other landed a few miles away. This was in a time where Americans were fearful of nuclear war, as well as reports of flying saucers. Shortly after the crash, the U.S. Air Force took custody of the object, bringing it to Maxwell Air Force Base to document it and examine it, but they promised it would be returned to the Hodges' home. Jean was immediately skeptical. Quote, If I paid rent, this was my place, and didn't nobody have no right to come in, in there without my permission. But according to the military, quote, anything that falls from the sky belongs to the Air Force, regardless of where it lands or who it hits. Well, the Hodges weren't the only ones fighting for custody of the celestial object. They rented their home from a woman named Birdie Guy, who insisted that as the owner of the home, the meteorite surely belonged to her. Anne wasn't going to let it go so quickly. Quote, Suing is the only way she'll ever get it, Anne Hodges said, adding, I think God intended it for me. After all, it hit me. And sue she did. Eventually, the Hodges settled with Birdie, giving her $500 to relinquish any claims to the rock. Jean Hodges called Birdie Guy money-hungry. He said, quote, Anne felt like it was hers. I remember her saying, if she wants it, I wish it would have hit her. The media went wild with the story. Reporters flocked to central Alabama from all over the country. The Hodges' phone rang off the hook, desperate for first-hand accounts, and Anne Hodges became a minor celebrity for a while. She was featured on the cover of Life magazine's December 13, 1954 edition with an article entitled, quote, A Big Bruiser from the Sky. And Bruiser was right. Anne's photo displays a massive grapefruit-sized bruise on her left hip. She refused to go to the hospital on the day of the crash landing. She was severely bruised, but her injuries weren't life-threatening. But she couldn't sleep that night and ended up spending the next few days in the hospital. She returned to the hospital shortly thereafter, this time for a, quote, nervous breakdown. It seemed that all of the stress surrounding the incident was wearing on her. It was worrying on Jean, too. Jean had altercations with Anne's doctor, at least one of these uh, turning physical. 
He claimed that his wife's condition wasn't improving at all, despite the copious medications the doctor was feeding her. Jean felt like Anne was being doped up. Those were his words. Back at home, and finally in possession of the meteorite, the Hodges debated what they would do with this interplanetary rock. When the news first hit, there were a number of individuals interested in it, even a few museums. But by the time the legal battle was over with Bertie, there was very little interest in buying the meteorite. For years, the rock sat gathering dust, being used as an actual doorstop at their front door. Eventually, Ann Hodges decided to just be done with it and donate the stone to the University of Alabama. University officials gave the Hodges a $25 check in exchange, and the meteorite remains on display there to this day. But what about that other segment of meteorite, the one that landed a few miles away? As the story goes, a farmer named Julius Kempis McKenney was driving a mule-drawn wagon when the mules wigged out about a black rock that was blocking their path. He moved the rock out of the way, and they continued home. That night, he heard about Ann Hodge's experience, and he went back for that mysterious rock, thinking maybe he could sell it, which eventually he did. Rumor has it he made enough money from the sale of the rock to buy a house and a car, unlike the $25 that Ann and Jean received. For many reasons, Ann and Jean's relationship began to fail in the years after the meteorite hit. Jean claimed in an interview that Anne became hopelessly addicted to the medications her doctor had prescribed, though he didn't elaborate on what exactly the medications were. He claims her addiction is what caused their initial separation. And then there was the final straw. He claims that Anne began doing drugs, doping up, as he calls it, with a construction contractor that was working on their house, making the repairs. And the two ran off together. Whatever happened... Anne and Jean did officially divorce in 1964. Not much is known about Anne's life in the years following her divorce, but just eight years later, she died from kidney failure at the young age of 52. Years later, Jean was interviewed by the University of Alabama. He said that the meteorite, quote, messed his life up for good. And as for Anne, he said she never did completely recover. Well, that was a happy story. My sources were Smithsonian Magazine, Alabama Pioneers, and CBS42.com. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next week.